With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. I not only have these conversations with the directors, the producers, the actors, I also look at their written contracts. I also look at the nudity and simulated sex writers. There are definitely actors who come in and they're like, great, so I don't like breathing in my ear, do not touch my belly button, and no tickly motions on my legs if you're gonna grab me, it needs to be firm. And other people who are like, ah, no, you know, we'll see. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Isaac Butler. Isaac, I want to know who we heard from at the top of the show, so please tell me. But it's been a while since you and I have done a show together, so I also need to know what's going on in your creative life. (laughs) Well, thanks, June. First of all, to get the the business out of the way, uh, we heard from Marcus Watson, who is an intimacy coordinator and choreographer. Um, But in terms of my work, uh, I'm in the midst of copy edits for the method right now. I'm actually taking a break from them to record this uh, as we speak. And uh, for people who haven't been through it, copy editing a manuscript of a book is a very intense micro detail process uh, in which you go through the text and thanks to suggested changes from a copy editor, you try to figure out which of your mistakes are a hallmark of your signature style and which are genuine (laughs) uh, screw ups. It's interesting. And I've actually learned an enormous amount about how my writing works and and where my taste lies and Mm. and stuff like that. But it's also tough in that, you know, the copy editor is great and she's done a wonderful job. It it, it has nothing to do with her, but it it feels like you're arguing all day, um, whether it's with the book or with the yourself from the past or the person who suggested the changes. It just, it doesn't feel great because you just feel like you're arguing all the yeah. time but yeah. there's no one you're actually arguing with so the conversation can't progress yeah um i just have to i have to intercede to say i worked as a copy editor i actually think it might be my true like personality job i love copy editing but i have to admit that like when you are a copy editor the bits that you feel great about like aha they're actually kind of asshole things because it's like well actually you know they're all well actually right. and like it's great it's great for the book no one should ever resist copy edits, but it kind of is like at heart a super valuable, a heroic, but kind of an asshole job. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, uh, although I should say the one, the woman I'm working with oh. has been very kind through this whole process. All copy editors are the greatest. Yeah. The the other fun thing is that I'm back to freelancing again after taking myself out of rotation for about a year to finish the book. And I, I just had my first piece back, which was here at Slate.com, which was a uh, assessment of the career and talents of Owen Wilson. I'm, I'm very proud of it, and I hope people will uh, give it a read if they haven't. They should, and we'll put that on the show page. But we should probably talk about this week's guest, right? We should, because he is fascinating. Uh, so you've told me before, it's Marcus Watson. He's an intimacy coordinator. But... What does an intimacy coordinator do? 
So what they do is they consult on the filming or staging of physical intimacy, you know, making out sex scenes, things of that nature for theater, TV and film. His job is to ensure everyone involved is comfortable with everything that's happening and that everything is consensual for all parties. And sometimes he's also staging those scenes himself. Wow. Is that a new job? Yeah, as you'll hear in the interview, it's very new. I was fascinated to learn exactly how new. Um, I mean, it's only a few years old and how the Mm. field evolved and kind of codified uh, uh, just prior to the Me Too moment in our culture. Wow, I cannot wait to learn more. But before we get to the interview, I also want to mention that Slate Plus members will hear a little something extra from your conversation with Marcus. What will they hear? Yes, we will be talking with Marcus about how working as an intimacy coordinator has changed the way he views sex scenes when he's watching, you know, TV and film. We'll also talk about how he personally deals with the psychic fallout of his job and about how the pandemic has affected his work. That sounds amazing. And listeners, you absolutely do not want to miss this. And why would you when it's so easy to subscribe to Slate Plus? You'll get exclusive members-only content, zero ads on any Slate podcast. You will be able to read every article you want to on Slate.com. You'll also get bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Danny Lavery's new podcast, Big Mood, Little Mood. And you will also be supporting the work we do here on Working. It's only $1 for the first month. To sign up, go to slate.com slash working plus. All right, let's hear Isaac's conversation with Marcus Watson. This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Marcus Watson, thank you for joining us today on Working. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's just start with the very basics. You're an intimacy coordinator and choreographer. Yes. What is that? It's a multifaceted position uh, in that we work with actors and productions to uh, advocate for the actors as well as choreograph. So I act as a liaison between the talent and the production so that talent is fully aware of what the production, the producers, the director is wanting from them. And so that the production is fully aware of what the actors are fully consenting to. I gauge their consent level outside of the many power dynamics that exist in TV, film, and theater because directors, producers, they all have 
so much power in the room in terms of um, hiring and firing power, future gigs, uh, you know, kind of the success of actors in some ways, in some positions. So it's it's about gauging that consent for scenes that are that have been written that the actors will be performing and making sure that they fully understand and are fully consenting to everything that we're doing. And then starting conversations around that and making sure that the production is is getting, you know, what they want within the boundaries that the actors have set. When needed, I, I do choreography. I come from a background of uh, mime, stage combat, acting, gymnastics, dance, very physical storyteller. I love to, to utilize movement and specificity of movement and breath work to make sure that we're telling a very clear and specific story um, true to the the tone and, and what story we're telling. And and this this job where you know you're choreographing and, and coordinating and mediating as scenes of intimacy are being staged. That's that's a relatively new profession, right? I feel like it, yes, it, I, I didn't hear about it 20 years ago, but I feel like I hear about it all the time now. Yes, exactly. And there, I mean, there have been people who have been doing this work, um, not so much as a profession per se. Um, especially not recognized by any industry. I know there are people like Tonya Cena who started IDI with um, some with some other intimacy coordinators and directors. She, you know, wrote a thesis about this in the early two thousands and kind of coined the phrase intimacy direction. Um, so there's there have been people who have been working at this and doing this for a long time, but it wasn't until about two thousand fifteen that IDI created the first company for intimacy coordinators and directors. And what is IDI? Intimacy Directors International was a nonprofit organization meant to spread the work of intimacy uh, coordinators and directors, and they have now folded having um, accomplished their mission. And so now there are other companies that are also working with coordinators to um, help productions find and connect with uh, intimacy directors and intimacy coordinators. Directors are for theater, coordinators are for film and TV. Oh, interesting. Interesting. You know, 2015 seems like a very fortuitous moment to found an organization like that, because, of course, we have the Trump election, the Women's March and the Me Too uh, movement or moment that immediately come after that. You know, do you feel like essentially this profession has become more widely accepted and adopted as a response to those political and cultural currents? Definitely. I think they were so lucky to have started this company before Me Too, I think, because the Me Too movement like rocket launched their um, their mission and the mission of IDI. And I think it, it wasn't that these stories had not been told or that um, people didn't know that this was happening in the industry. It was just after these movements, it was no longer able to ignore it. So... You mentioned earlier that you have experience and training in mime and stage combat and things like that. How did you get from there to doing intimacy work? It was, I mean, a long road. Um, I was choreographing in New York City for stage productions, doing um, stage combat, choreographing violence, as well as the, the odd stunt job here and there. And theaters will bring in would bring me in for sometimes scenes of sexual violence. 
um, to, to deal with um, the violent aspect of the scene. And when working on that, if there were kisses or, or gropes or, or anything like that, I would approach those in the same way that I would approach choreographing a fight where we would talk about it, we would discuss the safeties, we would discuss where hands were, would be going, where the actors were comfortable being touched and kind of define boundaries, define safeties and move from there. And then just because a kiss or a touch might be within that moment, I would discuss breath and, and who's initiating this kiss in the same way that I would say who's initiating this punch or this grab. Um, and directors would, would see that and they'd be like, you you know, that was, that was a really great way that you handled that. There was another kiss uh, in the show and, you know, would you mind looking at that as well? And it has nothing to do with violence, but like come in and, and take a look at that. So it kind of was, that was happening where there were, there was not someone specifically for these scenes of kind of hyperexposure for the actors of these intimate moments. And uh, we had multiple fight choreographers who were kind of noticing this. Um, and that's kind of what helped to start IDI. Um, and I happened to be working with Alicia Rodas, who uh, is another co-founding member of IDI. Um, we were teaching at a university out on Long Island, doing stage combat whenever she was starting the company. And so we had many hour-long drive trips out to Long Island to discuss the whole movement and the company and just kind of what is needed in these situations. And so from then, I started doing all of the, the workshops and um, practice workshops and things that she was doing in the city and um, just really continued to grow my techniques and skills for intimacy coordination using my background in very um, physical storytelling. And is there a certification process? Like if I'm a producer looking for an intimacy coordinator, is there like a, a guild that I go to? There, like who's who's checked out to do this? Yeah, so there is. And there there are things in the works that will probably be coming out in the next year or two that, that will help productions uh, even more so. Right now, there are several companies who do certification. Um, I originally certified with IDI, and I am now certified with uh, IDC, which is Intimacy Directors and Coordinators. And uh, you can see a list of the certifications and, and what we have to do to um, become certified, the number of hours we have to train, the kinds of trainings, the mental health first aid training, the bystander intervention training, trauma training. So there's lots of things that go into um, the certification wow. process. And how do you get your work? Is it word of mouth? Do you have an agent or there specific actors who like to work with you again and again? Like, how do you actually get a job? I would say once you've been through all this training, all of the above, um, it comes, there are some times where actors have heard about intimacy coordinators and they say, I don't know how to get one, but Hey production, we need one. And I am asking for this. Um, and sometimes it's an internet search, which brings people to the IDC page where you can find different certified, um, intimacy directors or coordinators, depending on region and area of the United States or even areas of the world. And then there are some times where it's word of mouth through productions. Like I've worked with this first AD on this set and now this first AD is working on this totally different set. And they're like, Hey, bring this person in. It was really great to, to work with them. So there's word of mouth that way. Um, there's also 
we're a, a very close community. So whenever we're being reached out to, if, if we're already on a show or already doing something, we are also giving these productions colleagues' names and information so that um, they can reach out to us. And when you start working on a project, what are the early parts of the creative process there? Are you are your first conversations with the director about sort of what they want staging wise? Are they with the actors like, you know, you're on a movie set, you have a screenplay that calls for a sex scene, you know, like like what's what's the beginning steps of what you're doing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes that the screenplay, the script, it will say they have sex. And then it's like, that's what it is. So it's kind of like in Shakespeare, they fight. So it's then, okay, well, what is the story we're telling? Um, and so it's really talking to the director um, and the writers sometimes to figure out exactly what the tone um, is, what they're looking for, uh, how they're going to be shooting this, um, if there's any you know pertinent details that I need to know, and then making sure that um, those types of things are, are related to actors. And then, you know, we gauge, I will gauge consent with the actors and uh, just open up lines of communication between the two. Um, sometimes the director has a very straightforward vision and the actors are, are very comfortable and they've worked together for seasons or, or things of that nature. So they're ready to go and they, they understand the scene. They get the choreography. They, it's, it's a very easy thing. Other times it's, it's a little bit more of a challenge or you have lots of background or you have um, lots of things happening, um, multiple couples who are engaged in um, simulated sexual activities. So um, sometimes it can be a little bit more of the, the fun choreography collaboration um, type of stuff. And other times it's very straightforward and, and just working on boundaries and consent. Do directors usually have a lot of specific staging ideas for these scenes or is it often like... I don't know. I want this to be really joyous. This is a turning point in this character where their life is getting better or whatever for two minutes. Or, yeah. or is it like, like, or is it usually like, I need him to move his hand here because the camera's there and then. Yeah. So I've had directors who have, you know, printed out three pages of these are the, the moments and the beats of this non-scripted moment. And so here's how we do this. And it's very detailed. And then I've had directors who are like, eh, whatever the actors want, let's tell a story of like really great consensual sex, you know, type of thing. Um, and then in the moment I'm watching monitor, uh, and making sure that, um, everything we're seeing is telling the story that the production and the actors have agreed to tell and that they're wanting to tell. Um, so I, you know, there are times where, you know, the director might be like, it's just, it's not syncing up or it's not lining up, but there's something odd. And I'm like, well, actually I think it's, like, let me try something. So it's going and saying, I think it's a little breath work or, you know, they're off rhythm or there's something. And it's like, it's not that they're off rhythm. It's just hips need to be adjusted and we need to uh, adjust the positioning a little bit. So it's coming in and knowing how the body works and how to make quick little tweaks to without having to restage the whole thing or just say, do it better, do it better. And be, come in and be like, well, let's isolate your chest and breathe out at this moment. So really, right, right. you know. And of course, I mean, you and I are talking about joyful, consensual sex scenes within within uh, scripts, but it seems ever more frequently that's not actually the kind of sex scenes we're seeing on TV and movies, right? They're awkward and funny, or they're disappointing and bad, or they're not consensual, right? Mm -hmm. as, as we begin to confront more of this stuff as a society, more of our sex scenes focus on moments of sexual violence. And so... 
in those moments, how are you navigating that? Because that is a creative challenge as well, right? About how to do this in a way that is not traumatizing to the actors who have to actually go through with it. Yes. In those types of situations, it's even more imperative to have open lines of communication and the ability to say no. I don't see no as like a shutting of a door. I see no as a conversation starter. You tell me no, I'm like, okay, great. So then let's talk about all these other options. You know, I'm a physical storyteller. I don't think there's just one way to tell a story. So if you're not comfortable with this touch, if you're not comfortable with this motion, if this move, this position, great. Let's look at all the ways that we can change this to still stay within your bounds, you know, your your boundaries, um, but tell the story that we have all agreed to tell. But it is very difficult for actors sometimes to tell these stories for both for for the like in a scene of sexual violence for the aggressor as well. You know, this is someone who's putting their likeness out there in a very um, aggressive way and wanting to make sure that they are taking care of their scene partner. And there is a lot of weight that goes into that. So not just looking at the person who is in the in the script and the action who is um who's having violence done to them, but also looking at the aggressor and saying, hey, you're an actor, you're not this violent person, and what are you having to do? What are the the safeties that you're implementing as well to make sure that you are mentally taking care of your emotional and mental health during these scenes? And that's a lot of our, our work too, is closure um, and, and checking in with each other and making sure that we are not just looking out for the physical safety of the actors, but that we are making sure that we are setting things in place to to watch out for mental and emotional health as well. Every collaborative relationship has conflict in it, right? And it seems like a lot of your job is actually mediating conflicts. between I mean, opening lines of communication, but that's inherently going to involve mediating conflicts between actors and directors. Mm-hmm. How do you approach conflict and, and trying to get on the other side of it and find the, the, the right step forward? I mean, when there's conflict, it's usually because there has been a lack of communication. Rarely is it because someone is just being a jerk, um, I find. And I, and I can't speak for anyone else. I just The situations I've been in, that's what I have noticed, is that it hasn't been someone coming in to say, I'm going to make bad decisions and I'm going to hurt someone today. It is that there is a lack of communication or a misunderstanding. And the more work that I can do beforehand is helpful. So that's why I not only have these conversations with the directors, the producers, the actors, I also look at their written contracts. I also look at the nudity and simulated sex writers that are signed ahead of time. I make sure that the the wording and um, the descriptions of uh, what is happening in the scenes are correct and what the actor is agreeing to. So that that way, when we step foot on set, we have a very safe space that we've created so that the the actors can make dangerous choices and, and be um, a little bit more bold in their choices because they know the boundaries and, and the, the things we've put into place to keep them safe. We'll be back with more of Isaac's conversation with Marcus Watson.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things we'd love to do with this show is help solve your creative problems. Whether you have a question about getting down to work or what you can do to improve communication with collaborators, anything at all, please ask us. Send them to us at working at slate.com or you can also give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's return to Isaac's conversation with Marcus Watson. What are some examples of boundaries that come up in your work and how do you let actors know that it's okay to tell you what those are? Definitely. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing as an actor, you are taught to be the clay in a way that uh, you're moldable and you bend at the, the director or, you know, at the whim of the person who is molding you. Um, So in many ways, we have silenced uh, actors, dancers, performers have silenced that little voice inside of you that tells you it's a boundary. And and because you've been told it's it's good to be um, brave and step out of a comfort zone. Um, And that's where sometimes um, trauma can happen because you are not listening to your body. Um, so many times I come in and I say, great, so let's talk about boundaries. Do you have boundaries? And actually, like, no, 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 I'm totally fine. I'm totally good. I'm an uh, open book, no boundaries whatsoever. And then when we start getting into the, the moments of the scene, and, and I, I, let that, I let that sit. I, I don't contradict it because there are, I mean, who am I to say that you have no boundaries or, or you know, what it is? That's, that's not my position. My position is to listen. Um, and then as we continue to go into the details of the scene, um, and what is appropriate for this scene. Um, let's say this scene is about kissing and undressing, and we're not doing any simulated acts, but it is undressing, maybe a little bit of groping and kissing. So at that point, I'm like, great, so let's set some boundaries for the scene, because this scene doesn't need, um, at this point, any touching of groin, right? And they're like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. We, we, I don't want anyone to touch my groin for this scene. It's like, okay, great, so that's a that's a boundary that you had that, that you weren't willing to tell me. And maybe that boundary is not for every single scene you do, but for this scene, for these specific, um, you know, the context of this scene, that is a boundary. Same thing with, um, great, are we kissing with tongue? Are we biting lips? Where, where are your boundaries with the type of kiss that we're doing? So yeah, I'm totally fine with a kiss. Okay, awesome. Um, what happens if they want to bite your lip? Or what are, what are our bounds or kind of what is the container that we're setting so that we know exactly what's okay to, to do and, and where we're stepping back. Um, so I'm breaking down and getting really specific given the context of the scene that we are shooting. And that helps to open up the conversation about specific boundaries. Um, because you don't, you don't need 
your whole body open if we're just doing a kissing scene. You don't need your whole body open if we're doing a simulated sex scene. There's no reason for them to touch your feet. There's no reason for them to, you know, to to do some of the things that um, might be done in one scene. There's no reason for it in this scene. So it helps to set those boundaries. Um, but yeah, there are definitely actors who who come in and they're like, great, so... Uh, I don't like breathing in my ear. Do not touch my belly button. And no tickly motions on my legs. If you're going to grab me, it needs to be firm. You know, so I have some people who come in very clear and aware of what their boundaries are. And other people who are like, oh, no, you know, we'll see. Right, And then, yeah, they, they can discover boundaries when they're running the scene and then actually be like, oh, I thought I was okay with this thing, but I'm not. Exactly. Because it's not consent if you can't retract it. Um, so consent is fully retractable. And we can always change what's happening in the sense that, great, you're consenting to this, but then the role is recast. And this is someone who you don't know. Your boundaries can change given the person, given who's in the room, given, oh, I'm on a sofa, not a bed. That changes how I feel about how we're shooting this scene. Um, So consent is very specific to the context and the moment. Um, And if anything changes, that can change consent level. Um, as well as saying nothing in the scene changed. And it turns out that today I'm in a different place than what I was yesterday when we talked about this and I'm updating my boundaries. Awesome. Or I slept on it and Marcus, you were right. I did have more boundaries and here they are. Um, and, and talking about it that way. Right. One thing we talk about on this show quite a bit is the revision process. And I'm very curious, what does revision look like in your line of work? Yeah, so so if something needs to be revised, if if a change needs to happen, I, I feel it's very important that there's no questioning of that. A boundary is put in place because the person says it's a boundary and there's no need to justify that or or explain it. I feel it's very important that, that it is a boundary because you say it is a boundary. And if that if something becomes a boundary, that is not on you to fix. It is on us to come up with a way to continue to move forward and get this, if we can, continue to move forward and get the shot, unless it is a something that is going to stop and change the scene, which in that case, we can stop and change the scene and we can discuss that with the writers and the director. I will say rarely that happens because so much energy is put into communicating things beforehand and setting up a safe space usually what happens a boundary changes or something is happening or this is really uncomfortable or my you know my my modesty garment or whatever is not allowing me to do this move or whatever it is we need to change something great i come in i say what is the exact thing that's happening awesome so we can still get this story we can still sell what's happening in this way we you know and then it's discussing with the actors what it is that they are comfortable with, clarifying the new boundaries, and then going to the director and saying, this is what we have. These are some options. I have several options. Many times I'll come and I'll already have ideas. The second something like that happens, I'm thinking, okay, great. We can do it this way. We can change it this way. We can change angles slightly and do this. I'm coming up with like plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And then I'll go to the director and be like, great, so this is the boundary, these are the new boundaries. And sometimes the director has an idea right away. And I'm like, oh, yep, that fits. And it's actually my plan D, so awesome. Sometimes the director's like, well, then what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, here's some options. Would you like to hear them? <laughs> great, you do. Okay, awesome. Here's, here's my fixes, and let's do it this way. So it is, it is about you know, thinking on the fly sometimes and coming up with things and also not questioning 
the change or the boundary that the, that the actor is giving. It seems like so much of your job is reliant on the actors feeling comfortable with you, trusting you, you know, knowing you have their interests at mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. When you're working with actors you haven't worked with before, what are you doing in your sort of, you know, performance in those first meetings to make it clear like, hey, I, I've got your back. I, I really am here for you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of listening and and making sure that I give them space to to tell me exactly what it is that they need and what they expect, as well as, you know, letting them know that, you know, a little bit of my background, where I'm coming from. I'm coming from this place and I'm here to make sure that you understand exactly uh, what it is you're consenting to, to make sure that you have your boundaries set, to make sure that you feel you know, safe in these situations. This work in its nature is uncomfortable. Um, you know, how many times do you have to go to work and take your clothes off in front of your coworkers? So it's it's an uncomfortable situation. So I can't make some of these things comfortable, but I can make sure that they're safe and that we are we feel emboldened uh, and empowered to make decisions about our own body. Do you feel like? it gets complicated by or there's a there's a hump you need to get over because you're a man like i imagine that given which gender uh, uh is often the one uh pressuring people or committing these acts or whatever like i i imagine there would be an inherent like oh it's a guy kind of thing that might happen sometimes yes i i am very aware of that um it, i mean it's something that um you know, I have to be aware of when I step on a set that um, I am a white male with really dark facial hair and I'm coming into this set and I make sure I, I wear my sweaters and my cardigans and my Mr. Rogers vest, you know, and I, I try to come in and uh, luckily I'm short and small of stature, which I think also is unimposing. But there's not much that I can do if someone is very uncomfortable with a man. And that's some of the mm-hmm. stuff that we have, we have conversations beforehand. What I have noticed, um, it's when people have not worked with an intimacy coordinator, especially producers where they're, they're wanting to make the best decisions for their actors. And in, in doing that, they're like, well, this, this is an actor, you know, this is a scene between a man and a woman. I want to make sure the woman is taken care of. I'm not sure a man is the best to, to bring in. Um, and I, I would say an advocate is an advocate, no matter their gender. I am there to, to make sure that boundaries are upheld and that the story we're all agreeing to tell is told. Um, and that doesn't matter with gender. Um, now, I understand that there are going to be people who will not want to work in these moments with a man. I understand that and I accept that. And if that's the case, then that's not the right job for me. There are many other intimacy coordinators and directors. You've choreographed the scene, right? It's now time to do a take. The director signed off on it. So now what's your what's your job at this point when the actual cameras are rolling? I am at that point, I am there looking at monitor to to make sure that we are seeing what we're supposed to be seeing, to make sure that that the choreography stays within the boundaries that the actors have set and that if things are changing or if I see that you know the more takes we get the more comfortable the actors are getting and and things are evolving a little bit to make sure that I'm stepping in after a take and saying great how are these uh, boundaries still going how are you feeling do we need to reset anything just so 
that they feel like they have the ability to continue to work and, and be in that movement, but staying within the boundaries that, that the actors have set themselves. What to you is the hardest part of your job? The hardest part is there are times where I come onto a set and I'm only there for one day. And so I'm not there for weeks on end, meeting everyone, understanding how the, the culture of this set works as opposed to the culture of this other set. So I'm stepping in and having to, to really understand the best way to work within this group and within this dynamic of people, which can be very challenging, especially with all the different personalities of directors and producers and the AD team and costumers and wardrobe and hair and makeup and if there's prosthetics and, and how we're dealing with that and visual effects. There are many different, different areas that I have to step in and work with depending on what kind of a scene it is. So I would say one of the most difficult things is coming in and knowing exactly how each production needs me to work, but at the same time being able to do my job and, and step in when needed. Because it's a fine line and it's a fine balance um, of not wanting to come in and and change the dynamic and or the feel of the set. You know, people are worried that we're coming in and we're like the, the sex police or, or like HR in a way. And that's not what we are. Like, I'm not there to, you know, to like lessen the kink or whatever it is. I'm there to make sure that it's just consensual and that everyone knows what's happening. Right, yeah. I imagine there's some directors who like, at the moment when you're entering in the process are a little bit like, uh, are you going to try to, you know, control my, my ideas too much or, you know, whatever. Exactly. It is. I mean, many of these directors have been in this industry for a very long time working on these scenes, these types of scenes. And now here's a new position that's coming in. And many directors have not worked with intimacy coordinators before. Um, very, very rarely do I step onto a set where a director has already worked with an intimacy coordinator. Mm. So not only is it me working with a new production, but it's a lot of times a director working with a position that they've never worked with or, or engaged with before. So there is a little bit of uh, hesitancy sometimes of what is your position? How are you going to step in? Are you going to override me? Are you going to try to override me? Or I can do this. There's no need to do this. I can choreograph. I've been choreographing sex scenes for a very long time let's do this. And it's about stepping in and being like, great. So now let's talk about, you know, what are the pitfalls of doing this and, and not checking in on consent and, and be, you being the one who's checking in on consent, given that you have a lot of power in the room and that will actors be comfortable telling you no? Will actors be comfortable saying I'm not comfortable with that? So um, there's that aspect of it. But then there's also the aspect of, you can totally choreograph. You can totally do what you want to do, given that it's within those boundaries and everything the actors have, have um, set up. And as long as all that communication happens beforehand, the director already knows all of that. The actors already know all of that. And, and the director can do exactly what the director does. And I'm just there to, to help and to assist in the same way that a stunt coordinator is there to, to make it safe and to help the production's vision come to fruition. I am there to make sure that the director and the production's vision comes to fruition while still keeping everyone safe and making it look good. You know, I come from a background in movement. I can, I can say, oh, this looks really awkward. And the reason specifically is because his knees are bent and we need to step in and we need to straighten these knees in this moment and, and do it this way because that looks awkward. And you, you might not know why it looks awkward. You're just like, it looks awkward. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, straighten his knees and get the cores, you know, hips closer together. And then we're good to go because I am a specialist in in movement and telling a physical story. 
Well, Marcus Watson, thank you so much for joining us and talking about your work and your creative process. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Raise your hand if you are burnt out. If email is something that gives you like a shiver in your spine. You are not alone. I'm Shirley Leung, host of Say More from the Boston Globe. Our new series is Beating Burnout. We'll hear from Cal Newport, Krista Tibbet, and more. We'll talk about breaking bad habits and forming new ones. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Say more from the Boston Globe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, Isaac, that was really interesting. I realize, of course, that there are surely many paths to getting into this field, but it is fascinating to think about Marcus's path from fight choreography to sexual violence choreography to intimacy choreography. And it's really clear what the path is there. It's all about making things look a certain way to the audience while making sure that safety and consent are absolutely paramount for the actors involved. Yes, absolutely. You know, the more physical contact there is between actors on stage or screen, the more carefully it has to be worked out. And and usually these moments, whether they're physical combat or, or sex or whatever, they should feel absolutely real to the viewer. But there's something else uh, kind of artificial and almost mechanical to the participants. Mm-hmm. In fight choreography, most of the time, the people involved in the combat make little to no physical contact with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's different with intimacy, of course particularly on camera when you kiss you're really kissing but you Mm. also want it to be controlled and worked out so you can feel comfortable with what you're doing it's kind of an old adage like if you look up old articles about staging sex scenes you know that that reporters have written about they almost all open with some Mm. version of uh, the least sexy day in a film is when they're filming the sex scene it is actually the least sexy least improvised, most mechanical, Mm. most robotic for the participants part of the process, even if it looks very different uh, when we see it at home. This is also one of those new roles that when you hear what's involved in the job, your first reaction, or at least my first reaction is, well, what were they doing before this job was invented? Like, as Marcus pointed out, the power dynamics between like the director or the production team and the actor mean that it feels absolutely essential to have a third party come in to have the conversation to ensure that everyone feels comfortable with what's being asked of them or with making a request. So you've been a theatre director. What were people doing before this role came along? 
I mean, I, I think what they were doing is kind of muddling through, you know, I mean, a- actors, particularly at a higher level, particularly in TV and film, a lot of what they are willing to do about nudity and physical contact would be in their contracts. So mm. in some ways, the agent is actually the person working out some of that. But you hear tons and tons of stories of directors or producers trying to get actors to agree to do stuff that they said they wouldn't do in their contract, mm-hmm. particularly around women and nudity. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of stories about it. Um, and sex scenes are traditionally staged by directors, sometimes by fight choreographers or other kinds of choreographers, but traditionally by not by someone who is called an intimacy coordinator. Um, and some directors, we should say, very good at that. They're very good at sensitively navigating those issues, making sure everyone is on board, kind of moving through what those power dynamics are. Like, like there are people who are like that, but there are enough people who aren't like that or who just kind of don't care enough mm-hmm. to make the job in this new field really necessary. But, but we should say it's not only about intimacy. Mm-hmm. Fans of Ted Lasso may have seen this article about um, Hannah Waddingham, who's an actor on Ted Lasso, who was also on Game of Thrones. And there's a scene in Game of Thrones in which she was waterboarded. And she was essentially waterboarded for 10 hours while they filmed the scene on mm-hmm. set. And she was not well taken care of during that process. And it left her with lasting trauma. So, Ugh. you know, this is something that there's still a lot of work to be done on. Yeah, God, that sounds awful. I was really interested to hear how actors often discover boundaries as they're making a play or a movie. Like they'll go in saying, oh, no, I'm fine with whatever. But then as the thing is being made, their body will respond a certain way and they'll suddenly realize, well, actually, touching me there is bringing stuff up I didn't expect. I need another option. I realize that every production is different, but I'm curious if that kind of physical response requiring a change of plans is something that occurs in other parts of putting on a play or making a movie? Oh, yeah. I don't think that's limited to physical intimacy at all. But uh, a lot of actors, particularly young, particularly early career actors, they want to be game for anything. That is a value that's kind of been inculcated in them as they grow up and go through theater school. You know, the show must go on. You are there to serve the material and the director, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. And they may agree to something genuinely and try Mm -hmm. it genuinely and then just discover it doesn't work for them uh, or it doesn't feel safe. Um, And sometimes it might really not be safe. Like there's a prop knife that hasn't been sufficiently dulled and they could cut themselves. I was once directing a show where there was a prop knife and the crew hadn't dulled it sufficiently. And the lead actor was like, Hey, this, I could actually hurt myself with this. You know, that's, that's, that sort of thing has to be addressed. Um, There are some times when, an actor actually has a barrier that needs to be negotiated and they, not physically, I'm talking psychically mm. here. And mm. that actually does need to be negotiated so that they can move through it because it's essential to the part. You know, maybe mm. they have, uh, they might discover that the story of a play brings up a personal issue with them. And, you know, mm. you have to help them navigate that. Um, yeah. But particularly if it's a matter of physical safety or comfort, you, you have to try to accommodate them to the extent that you can or change what you're doing. And I think part of being a, the skill of being a director, the part of it that's a lot of management is about when am I kind of helping this person get over this thing? And when am I actually saying, no, 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 no. We're just going to rearrange this to accommodate this because this is, is something that you shouldn't have to get over. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, you've mentioned in the past that you have worked as an actor and you've also done a lot of work as a theater director. 
Which is more awkward, directing intimacy or playing it? Well, I was not a professional actor for very long. You know, I was a child professional actor, so luckily there was no intimacy there. And then I did it a little, <laughs> a couple times after college and stuff like that. So most of the physical intimacy work that I did was in, in high school and college and acting class. And I can say, though, just based on that, without a doubt, it is acting it, actually having to do it. <laughs> is much, much worse than the awkwardness of talking to people about doing it and, and describing it. Um, you know, and, and I think that's because you are, to a certain extent, really experiencing it. You know, you really are yeah. kissing that person. You might not be using tongue. You might be faking that there's tongue involved, but you are really kissing that person. It's weird not to have, um, you can't do that and have no associations stirred up whatsoever do you know what i mean yeah. and i would often yeah. find you know you're you're snuggling with someone on stage or whatever and it, there's this little voice in the back of your head that's like your girlfriend's gonna see this you know that right what is she gonna think about what's going on right now and it would just completely draw me out of the scene yeah yeah so it's just a a, a challenge to your kind of technique as much as anything else yeah absolutely i mean one of the things that i do think is really odd about on-screen intimacy is like so like does your partner watch these movies or you know what I mean? like it, it is always yeah, like part of yeah, the actor's yeah. job that i find really um really strange it's a very strange job let's admit it so listeners we hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you have remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast then you'll never miss an episode and yes i'm going to give you a slate plus pitch slate plus members get benefits like zero ads on any slate podcasts bonus episodes of shows like slow burn and danny levery's new show big mood little mood you'll be able to read everything you want on slate.com and you'll be helping to support the work we do here at Working. It's only a dollar for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com slash working plus. Thank you to Marcus Watson for being our guest this week. And as always, enormous thanks to our fantabulous producer, Cameron Drews. This week, we also got some production help from Shana Roth. So Shana, thanks so much for uh, helping us out. We'll be back next week for June's conversation with journalist Jose Antonio Vargas. Uh, he is one of the most interesting writers about immigration and citizenship around. You are not going to want to miss this special July 4th episode. And until then, get back to work. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.